Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I am speaking with Jennifer Newton. Jennifer is an attorney at Greenberg Trawick, based in Miami, and focuses on banking and financial institutions and risk management and on compliance matters. She's also one of the founders of the National Association of Black Compliance and Risk Management Professionals. This is a new organization, and it's starting out, and they're dedicated to the networking, promotion, and advancement of Black risk management professionals. From here on in, I'm going to call it N-A-B-C-R-M-P because those are the acronyms that they're going by. I am so pleased, Jennifer, that you're here to continue these important discussions that we're having right now about race in the ethics and compliance world, um, as well as learning about your career path and the road for you to become a financial risk and compliance professional. So with that in mind, thank you for being here. And Jennifer, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into compliance? Perfect. And thank you so much, Lisa, for for having me here today. I'm very excited to talk a little bit about um, my background and my experience and um, what we are doing at the National Association of Black Compliance and Risk Management Professionals. So the the short-term name that we've come up with is is NABCRMP, which we call it NABCRMP for now. So hopefully that's better in terms of, of discussion and talking about the organization. But a little bit about um, me. And so my pathway into compliance was um, somewhat unique in that I did not set out to uh, go into the field of risk management and, and compliance um, when I graduated law school. So um, when I initially graduated law school, I worked uh, for, for five years as a consumer a protection attorney where I was litigating cases in federal and state courts on behalf of, of consumer protection uh, matters. I was also um, lobbying uh, on the state level with regard to the Florida state legislator and also writing and um, doing other uh, advocacy work around consumer protection issues, specifically in the um, financial services space. And from there, uh, that led me to uh, end up at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau because at that time, uh, the housing crisis um, had just exploded. And um, and as, as most of you know, the story um, was that Congress decided to create this agency that would be dedicated to protecting consumers um, with regard to uh, the financial abuses that that they were seeing um, throughout the industry, and which somewhat led to the, the the housing crisis, and so working as a regulatory attorney at the the CFPB gave me a lot of insight into uh, how regulations are promulgated um, by government agencies, and also um, from an, an enforcement perspective, how regulators view. Uh, various issues with regard to to enforcement, and then the steps that it takes to 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 launch an investigation and some of the items um, that regulators 
look to in terms of looking at um, potential enforcement and supervision matters. And so that gave me a really good grasp of the internal aspects of, of regulatory compliance from the government perspective. And, um, and from there, I was able to then land an opportunity to assist a very large um, financial service uh, organization um, that was in the middle of trying to uh, prepare for their uh, CFPB examination um, and also a number of other examinations at that time because they, they were also subject to uh, state regulatory enforcement action. Um, but it was at that point that I learned um, when I accepted the role of a regulatory compliance uh, manager um, that I really enjoyed the field of compliance because I found that it was a way to combine my legal background, so my legal knowledge of, of rules and regulations and my ability to interpret them and understand them from a legal perspective with understanding what these organizations and, and specifically what my organization was attempting to do on the business side and sort of meshing those, those two together and um, being able to help in a way that was, was much more um, rewarding as opposed to uh, just sort of providing um, legal advice on, on a regulation without really getting um, any hands-on experience or um, any specific interaction with, with those who are actually grappling um, with trying to implement the regulation. So I really found that that work um, to be rewarding and to be a lot more useful in terms of um, the, the, the output that I was putting out. So, so other than just me providing legal opinions about what regulations mean, um, I was able to help um, the business in a way that is a lot different in that we, I, I was help, able to help them build processes and systems around um, managing their regulatory expectations with compliance. Um, with regard to a regulation. So I, I really enjoyed that. And since then, I have um, sort of fluttered in this, this same space of being a regulatory um, advisor where I'm advising specifically banking and financial institutions on regulatory compliance matters. And, I, and, and that's, that's how I, I ended up in this field. And, you know, one of the things that um, has really jumped out to me um, is, is that as I entered into this field, I, I ran across many individuals um, like myself um, who were not necessarily in compliance related roles, um, but they wanted to get into some of these same positions. And, um, and, and some of these folks were students, some, some individuals are, were, were other professionals working in other industries. And I, and I was always getting the same question, Lisa. And the question was, how did I get into my role? And, um, and so that, that question is, 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 that answer is not really, um, you know, nice and, and sweet. Um, it, it's, it's, as I mentioned, a, a very um, a non-traditionary route. Um, but I began to discover that there, there doesn't appear to be a clear pathway and that um, the majority of people who get into the area of compliance, risk, or, or, or uh, governance, um, they do so through, through their own, own paths and, and their own unique 
um, you know, pathways that lead them into the area. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Mm-hmm. go ahead, Lisa. Oh, I was just going to say with that is similar to my experience as well. And to many people, we all sort of come in thinking about, you know, sort of drafted for a project, not everybody, but many right now, although the, I think the profession is changing. It's almost like come in because you were drafted stay because, you know, it's, there's so much, so much you can do and it's an interesting career path. But I think that that is really, you know, I was just going to say, I think that is a familiar experience um, and, you know, one which you have identified. And also that I think with uh, NABCRUMP is kind of where you are, you know, helping in that way too. Right, exactly. And the other thing too uh, is that the, I noticed, at least when I was in law school, and I don't know if that's changed at, at this point, but, um, you know, the law schools weren't necessarily touting um, these alternative roles um, that where you can utilize your, your degree in, in, in a very fulfilling way um, in, these, in these other types of um, industries and areas. And, and so, um, so many people really don't know how to um, navigate themselves in, into this space. And, and unfortunately, you know, what, there's a saying, you know, in, 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 in the Black community, you know, when, when it, when it, um, when, when the other, when the world catches colds, black people catch pneumonia. And so that, that actually translates with regard to um, exclusion. And, and so, so if it's difficult for the average individual to break into um, the industry of, of compliance, it's, it's probably going to be much more difficult for people of color um, to also navigate those channels. And, um, and so as I was heavily involved in, in, in regulatory compliance and getting involved in, in industry associations and networks. Um, I, you know, was attending a lot of conferences and I noticed that there, there weren't um, that many um, people of color. And, um, and, then, and then for the most part, while I would be able to connect with, with those who were attending the conferences, uh, we would go away to our respective cities and, and then that would be the end of the communication there. And so, so after discussing, you know, some of the, the things that I was observing with, with a group of, of girlfriends that I, that I have, um, and we tend to meet up and discuss about our professional development and things that, that we're working on to, in, a, in a way to, to, to support and encourage each other. Um, that's where the idea of, of NAPCRM came up. And, um, and so initially the vision is to create a, a space and for um, professionals of color who are working in the risk management and the compliance space to be able to collaborate, um, network, share resources, and support each other, and to provide opportunities to um, those who are looking to break into to the industry. And so, um, so that's really the genesis of, of how the organization got into, um, into its, its, its state of being. That's great. I have a couple of follow-up questions too, because there's a lot there. Um, but the first thing I wanted to ask about in terms of um, the, the networking and the building this, um, you also talk a lot about, from a risk and compliance standpoint, the importance of having a diverse room and the right people in the room. So I want to start a little bit about that, because I do think that the problems are barriers and other things that we can talk about later in trying to have networks but also the idea 
that people may not, not everybody is thinking about in so many different ways about diversity um, and particularly um, blacks. I mean, I think, you know, as, as we, you and I had talked about and others, I, you know, Mary and I have this particular platform. We feel very fortunate about it. We didn't know what would happen with it, but as an issue that we support, we also think it's really important, you know, first that the right people get in the room and sort of the risk part about it. So let's start with risk in analysis and then talk a bit about diversity, inclusion, and networking. So with that, we talk a little bit about okay. that. So let's start with, with that. Does that work? Sure. And that, that, that's actually a good starting point because um, that's absolutely our, our, our core values um, in terms of, of what we are seeking to do. So um, at the heart of the organization, we believe that um, diversity and inclusion are, are critical aspects of, um, of, of effective risk governance. And, and, and what that means is, is that, you know, we believe that by supporting, encouraging, and fostering the professional development of um, Black compliance professionals and other professionals of color in these corporate environments, um, that, that that would, as a result, encourage um, good corporate governance practices. And so when we talk about diversity and inclusion historically, I think one of the things that we are accustomed to doing is focusing on the, the intangibles, right? So we know that diversity and inclusion fosters team building. We know that it, it fosters um, good morale. We know that it fosters collaboration. Um, but what we're trying to do and, 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 and at the core of the organization, um, so it, it, it's on, and, and on, on one hand, we of course want to uplift and train and support uh, black compliance professionals who are in these spaces, um, but the 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 underlining value and principle is it's by doing that by supporting and nurturing these professionals. Um, this would entail have the results of helping organizations to be able to have that diversity perspective because it really is pertinent to effective decision making. So so in the absence of having um, diversity at, at your at your decision level um, making levels. So that could be your executive team, that could be your your board of directors, that could be those who are in management. Um, but we we what we've observed um, through our own experiences is that the lack of having um, diverse professionals who can provide their unique perspectives, um, who can contribute and provide um, their um, point of reference in terms of a specific issue um, is, is problematic to organizations who are now, um, and as a result of the way that the demographics in the nation are changing, um, but who now have a very diverse customer base. And it is no longer optional for organizations to um, engage in a decision-making a process or um, practices that do not encompass um, the perspectives of those um, who represent their constituencies or, or their customer base. So rather than discuss um, diversity and inclusion as, as talking points and as being important to the intangibles, we want to change the narrative um, as, as being a necessity, as being critical to risk governance, critical to corporations who are looking to foster 
um, good practices that have a good impact on communities. And, and so that's really at the heart of, of what we're seeking to do. So yes, we want to encourage, we want to inspire um, professionals of color to, to, to enter into these spaces and support them and uplift them um, with the idea that doing so benefits everyone in the long term. Absolutely. And I'm going to ask a, quickly a little bit about Black Lives Matter, and then it's going to tie back a bit, I think, to the um, NAM Crump's goals a little bit. But, you know, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter to me, I think it's a unique mo- moment in time. Not, and not that the issues are new, but right now there seems to be real momentum and recognition that change is critical, and it must be now since it wasn't yesterday as it should. Do you think this also think it's a different time? And if so, you know, what do you think is most important, and this is a huge question, to continue forward progress, particularly in the um, ethics and compliance world, as well as just generally? I do think that this is a different time. And I think that whereas, you know, a couple of, and I would say a couple of months ago, um, we were not yet at the point where organizations um, and, and certain brands um, were, were willing to, to discuss um, diversity and inclusion and, and to be really intentional about um, an, an action plan and, and a response and, um, and a commitment to, um, to, to, to pushing those, those issues forward. And that is something that, that we haven't seen. So um, I will say in the past, we have not seen organizations willing to um, willing to even state that Black lives matter. Um, and, and so we've, we've come a long way. And, and I think that this is, this is, a, this is a wonderful time um, to, to really push forward with, with you know, some of those commitments. Um, it's important to harness this, this energy and this, this, this now, this, and I will, I, I will say, newfound commitment um, to really uh, create a, a, a framework that is truly inclusive and truly reflective of, of um, an organization's customer base. And, and, and to do that, though, it does require intentionality and it requires actions um, that um, have to be uh, to done at the, at the internal level. And, and so I think that one of the things that we, we want to make sure is that the discussions continue on. So while um, we, we are seeing a lot of organizations um, putting out a lot of statements, um, a lot of, of, um, of, of commitments, um, and even a lot of funding. So there's a lot of funding going um, to certain organizations that are working on, on racial and, and social justice um, initiatives. Um, that's, that's wonderful. But in order to, to really move the needle forward, it requires um, transformative change internally, and and that is that is why um, that why we we are seeking to 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 enter into this space as an organization to be able to to help organizations um, identify action steps that will allow um, them to to reach their diversity goals um, to the extent that 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 is something that the organizations are truly truly committed to. But, but at the outset, it requires a commitment, it requires the buy-in of leadership. So leadership has to, to, to commit to wanting to create a much more diverse um, enterprise uh, framework 
And, 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 and once that is done, then, then we can talk about what that looks like for the organization, because these are just terms. And it's important for everyone to, to have an agreement about what, what does the end goal look like? What, what does that mean for, for organizations when you say that you value diversity and inclusion? How does that look? And, and depending on that answer, that is, that is going to drive the action item and, and also the accountability frameworks that, that organizations would have to build in to achieve those, those metrics. And so, um, so, so definitely in order to keep that going, um, we would definitely have to, to, to do a lot more than, than just um, pronouncing um, our commitments or our stance against racism and, and bigotry uh, we, we need to take some, some serious action. And I think this is the time to do so. And because and simply because organizations at this point don't really have a choice. Um, now we have uh, the, the Generation Zers and the Millennials that, that don't necessarily judge organizations and companies by, by the quality of products anymore. So, so instead of, of, of judging organizations by those things, what's really important to them in terms of values is, is in an organization's ethics. So what they're doing in terms of their practices, what they're doing in terms of um, social impact, what are their policies? And those are some of the things that really resonate with this new generation. And, and with social media available for, for the world to see, um, organizations um, would face a, a significant risk with not really responding to um, those sense. That, that sense of values with, with this, this, new, um, this new constituency. And so it's, it's, it is now incumbent um, for organizations to take the steps um, to really identify what it truly would, would mean to be an inclusive organization that values diversity, um, that, is, that is open and provides opportunity for everybody. And, I, and you know, one of the things about the statements and the support, which is all you know, the right thing to do. I think social media does a lot in that, but it is really a question of what are you doing behind that? Are you going, um, you know, are, are, are you actually doing the work for your organization to not, you know, not just increase hiring, but to actually, you know, take barriers away from people of color to provide opportunities to be able to look from one part of a function to another and say, oh, that's, you know, a promising person and help that, that those pipelines, this, the, one of the things I, I think about a lot and I'm str- you know, struggling with is, okay, there are the words right now because this is the moment for the words, but are some of these large companies you know, looking at this genuinely or because they, you know, they think this is how you're supposed to do it? So you know, what do you think we ne- need to see next if you agree with that? If not, let me know. I mean, that's just sort of my biggest concern is everyone's saying these things, but are they going to act? No, absolutely. And I think that you will, I, I absolutely agree with you, Lisa. I think that, that now, um, I, I think people are, 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 are beyond um, performative gestures. They're beyond um, social media posts. And, and, and what it seems that the call to, to action is now is, is what are you going to do to um, advance the, 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 the call to action forward? And 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 discussions and and promises and statements 
are, are not going to do that in, in and of themselves. And I think there um, is growing pressure for organizations um, not to simply um, just get away with being performative. I think that there will um, be, and, and rightly, um, rightly so, um, a pressure to, to, to look at you know, what organizations um, have done who have stated these commitments, um, who have um, put themselves out there as, as being an organization that um, is committed to diversity and inclusion. And, and so it's going to be a, a lot more pressure than, than just saying the words that Black Lives Matter. You know, we, we, we get that and we appreciate that, 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 that statement and that commitment. But I, but I think that now what, what the call to action is, is what are, what are we going to do internally what are you going to do? What action steps are you going to take to, 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 to transform or to, to create more um, diversity and inclusion in your organization? And, and I don't think that organizations are going to get away with, with simply just making the statements or, or in the alternative, um, just paying uh, funds or, or donations to charitable organizations. Because at the end of the day, um, the call to action is diversity and inclusion at your organization. So while, while it's great to support social justice organizations that are working to increase um, racial and ethnic inclusion, um, the, the concern is on the organization's own actions and, and what are you doing to advance that forward. And, and I think that at this point, because there's a lot at stake in terms of um, the way that 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 marginalized people feel, um, especially with 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 you know things happening um, involving police brutality and and um, and people being killed, I think there's there's a lot of of people that are um, feeling that you know in in terms of of gestures those are no longer acceptable and they they want to see real change um, because the same way that individuals face um, potential uh, harassment or, or, uh, or, or feeling that, you know, they're, they're being policed or, or, or they're feeling that, that they, they, they have, you know, just um, someone, you know, on their, on their neck. It's the same way that, that people feel, especially marginalized people of color, feel in some of these corporations that they are not able to, to, be, um, to be mobile, to move within the organization, that there's always a roadblock. And so that's the call to action for organizations. That is their sphere of, of influence that, um, that they can change. And so this, the, the racial and the social justice organizations, they will do their part. Um, but I think organizations have their, their, own, um, their, own, their own decisions and their own um, action steps that they can take internally to, to change their, their own sphere of, of influence. One of the things, I mean, I, I was looking at LinkedIn at one point, and you can see one of the places out there that there are the most job opportunities right now is there seems to be a number of companies that say, oh, well, we need someone to run a diversity and inclusion program. My, my hope is I know that that's a great step, but those individuals, whoever are, who's ever hired for those roles are also given the tools and um, opportunities to succeed, um, to help 
remove barriers, mentor, sponsor, advocate, any and all of those terms, and to help their organizations do exactly what you're saying, their own version of organizational and social justice internally. Um, so, you know, I think that it's important that not just the organization is is diverse, but that leadership is diverse so that the people, you know, so that people have opportunities. I mean, women, lots of women have those concerns, um, but it's with marginalized groups, it's even more significant. So, um, you know, I, I, one of the things is to talk to us, you know, how can we be better, who, you know, be better supporters and allies of those goals? Right. No, that's a that's a that's a great question, um, and to, to to go back to, to something you just said about the diversity and inclusion um, positions that are that are that are opening up. Those are those are great, and those are um, a great great first step. But as you as you mentioned, um, the those the individuals who take on those positions have to be empowered um, by leadership, and there has to be a a commitment at the top. Um, so, the, so the same way when we talk about compliance, we always say, you know, it starts from the top, starts from the, starts from your board of directors, right? So it, the board of directors has, have to buy into um, to whatever the, the organization is seeking to do, seeking to comply with. And so if diversity and inclusion is, is seen as, you know, no longer um, something that's a nice thing to have, but a, a necessity similar to um, complying with a regulation, um, then that's something that, that needs the same support um, that that the, the, the executive team, the board of directors would give um, in any other context with regard to um, a, a compliance metric that is, that's critical to the organization. But in, in, to, in terms of, of that question about supporting um, professionals of color who are in these spaces um, and who, who are looking for opportunities the same way that, that everyone else is, I think um, one of the, the, the biggest ways that, that organizations and, and, and allies can support people of color um, is, is by creating a, a way to, to make sure that, that, that there is always um, somebody in the room. So um, I think sometimes when you know, there, there are a group of people who are, who are all the same and you know, who come from the same backgrounds, um, it's easy to, to forget that there is there, there's a lack of diversity here. And so being really cognizant about that, so being really conscious and intentional um, to, to be inclusive goes a long way um, for, for, for individuals who um, are sometimes the only, only one in their organization. Um, so, so that's also helpful, making sure that they're getting the same resources, um, the same support that other employees get, and, and, and even if not more, making sure that they have an opportunity to showcase their, their talents, their skills, um, making sure that their voices are heard. Uh, so, so those kinds of things go, go a long way in, in supporting um, and, and helping um, organizations reach their, reach their diversity benchmarks. Um, and, and, and that's one of the ways that, that I think that allies who are looking to be supportive and to be you know, effective um, is really to, to, to do what you can do in your own sphere of influence. So if you know that you um, know someone who is, who is diverse, who is talented, um, who would be a, a great person to add to the team, it's as easy as encouraging the recruiters to give some consideration to this person um, in terms of advancing within the organization. Um, it could be as simple 
as advocating for um, persons of color who are deserving and, and have the, the skill sets for the positions. So it's, it, it takes being really intentional and conscious and aware of the environment because it's easy to um, default to business as usual. And sometimes we, we forget, it's easy to forget about um, how uh, various uh, issues and, 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 um, and systems and structures affect um, those who are not a part of uh, our own um, individual groups or, 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 you know, what we classify as. So it's being, and I would say that that's one of the things that, that allies can do is be intentional, be conscious, be aware, um, and, and, and get involved and speak up because that's, that's the other thing too. It, it, there, there's, there's, there's more power in numbers and the more other people get involved and, and speak up against, um, issues that, that have, you know, negative impacts on, on, on people of color, um, the better we all are. And so, and then it, 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 it would seem that we're all asking for the same thing. And, um, and that's a demand that, that leadership can't ignore um, when, when it's coming from, from, from the team. I also think, um, you can tell me your thought on this as well. I think often many of us feel a sense of otherness for ourselves, the only woman, the only person from Latin Latam, when you're on a board of all Europeans. I think one of the things that I've thought a lot about lately is there is, is that there's a bigger systemic issue than you know some of these individual concerns. And it's time to, you know, for, for us when we're trying to be better allies, is to look past our own moment of quote otherness to realize sort of the bigger picture that's out there, both within our organization um, and externally in the compliance and risk communities as a whole. And that's one of the it's a, it's a work in progress, you know, progress for many people. I mean, if I'm the only woman in a room of, of 10, you know, men who are older and senior and been there for a long time, you're, you're thinking about that. But the idea, also the idea is it's still, the room is not inclusive at all. Even with me there, it needs to be better. And, you know, and I think many, many women have had that experience of all colors being, but I think it's really, really important. And so my other question response to that is within the compliance community as a whole, hopefully those of us who are in it can help to be more inclusive, not just within our organizations, but within this community. Because I think it's a unique community that tries very hard to help anybody who wants, wants to be a part of it and make organizations and things better. Absolutely. And, and also, too, we, we, more than anybody, we understand risk. We understand um, potential negative out outcomes. We understand what happens when organizations don't um, embrace things that 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 should be um, included in in a in a corporate environment. We 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 understand that more than anybody, and so we um, more than anybody should be advocates for 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 um, for the organizations to em embrace um, programs and initiatives that would be beneficial to the organization and to the longevity of the the company. We we that's that should be our. Um, our goal as as compliance officers, as risk officers, um, that is not having diversity poses a risk to the organization, and it's very important for for us as compliance officers and risk advisors to to understand that. So, um, rather than focus on solely on 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 laws and regulations and and uh, um, you know the day to day minutia that that organizations are subject to, we should 
keep in mind that there are other risks, um, and it could be risk to, to risk to, of course, to team building, collaboration, but also risk to to the organization in terms of creating blind spots and, and creating a lack of inclusion. I think of um, the, the the examples of, of organizations that have um, done certain things, and 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 you have to wonder, you know, how. How did that, who made that decision and how could they have thought, you know, that um, releasing that shirt or um, (laughs) doing that commercial or taking, you know, taking, you know, making those statements would not, would, would not offend, you know, the majority of their customer base. Um, and, And that either tells me a couple of things. It either tells me that one, they're not diverse individuals who would have probably um, understood those issues immediately, right away, those implications and those risks right away um, are not in the room, or it's either that they are in the room and they're not being heard. Um, but but something's happening there. And um, it's important now, now than ever, like I said, because um, this generation is a generation of, of values and, and what resonates for them is not so much the quality of products, but, um, but, but a company's ethics, you know, what they're doing in terms of on their practices, what's their social impact? Um, how inclusive are they? And so, so those are some so 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 those are some, some key considerations that organizations need to take into to account as they are building their enterprise risk framework to manage risk. Because the failure to be inclusive poses severe reputational risk, financial risk, um, a whole host of of risk. <laughs> so, you know, the same way that we take steps and. And we develop frameworks and processes to manage um, our, our day-to-day risk. We need to take measures and incorporate um, systems and processes to ensure um, that diversity and inclusion is not a blind spot in the organization and that in individuals, everyone of, of every shade and background are, are being included and valued um, in, in, in discussions. Yeah. And I think that, that is, it's a great point for us to end on. And I just want to say how thrilled I am to have had the opportunity to speak with you about this and to be able to help support you all um, as you go forward, both within you know, Mary or me or, if I, if we, or within this larger community of people that are a pretty diverse group that listen to the podcast and also are part of the LinkedIn community. And as you're building that network group, whatever we can keep doing, to be supportive and to be good allies. I mean, I know many of us are, are working to educate ourselves, um, but hopefully we can help you grow and build this amazing thing that you started. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much. And then on behalf of Mary and me um, and the Compliance Podcast Network, thanks so much for joining. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you, Mary. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to, to be here today and to speak about these very, very important issues. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.